the unique radio show and podcast that celebrates new book releases and the authors that created them. Now, let's take off with your host, Grace Salmon. Welcome to episode three of the Launchpad. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. We are live across multiple Facebook platforms. I want to invite everybody to make comments if they would like in the chat and leave your name, leave a question, leave a comment. We're just so happy to have people with us this evening. We are a collaborative effort between Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network, The Bookish Road Trip, Grace Salmon, and the author marketing coach, Mary Helen Sheriff. So thank you for being with us tonight. Tonight we are joined by C. D'Angelo, Ruthie Marlinet, said mm -hmm. like Chardonnay, I just learned that, <laughs> Karen E. Arsborn, and Maggie Smith. I could not be more happy to welcome these dynamic set of authors to the Launchpad microphone, because we're going to be talking about women's fiction, magical realism, tangled lives, and suspense. So welcome, everybody, to the Storyteller's microphone and the Launchpad microphone. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad everybody is with us tonight. We have viewers who are welcome to leave their comments, as I said, in the chat. I'd like to start perhaps with Karen. Uh, Karen and I have the opportunity to share multiple platforms at different times. Karen, tell us about your new book. I will. You and I also have parallel lives, we figured out. We do. <laughs> so I read a lot of uh, books that are short chapters, page turning, a lot of books that are uh, very suspenseful. So that's what I write. I write what I love reading the most. And uh, this book, as in all three of my novels, takes place, Reckonings, it's called, and it takes place during two weeks in August. And uh, at the end of the two weeks, Roxy is, that's my protagonist, and she believes that her play, she has written a play and the local community theater is staging it. And she has decided, and her friend from high school who's an actor is starring in it. And she has decided that this is gonna change her crazy, messed up, tormented life. She's a mother of four, her oldest child, she's only 36 years old, her oldest child is 17 and pregnant. And they live in a tiny little two bedroom, one bathroom apartment, she and her husband, her four kids and two rescue dogs. And she just wants out, she wants to find another way. But unfortunately she also has a toxic secret and the person who can upend her life has just returned to town. Hmm. That is amazing. And I love the names of your characters, which are Spider and uh, Roxy. So you, you have some really gritty people in there and people are saying hello to everyone. We want to say hello back. Ruthie, tell us a little bit about your book. Well, um, Agave Blues, like Karen, um, she's a mother, probably Maya, my protagonist, uh, probably about 36 or 37. I don't know that I established it, but she has a 17 year old daughter that's giving her some issues as well as her fiance. But um, so the way the book starts out is that she gets a call from Mexico to come and identify the body of her, um, her, her father. Um, it, uh, I'll just read here that sometimes la sangre atrae, the blood calls you back. So that's kind of a theme going through the book. And so when she gets the call to go back to her agave roots in Mexico, in order to claim the body of her long missing father, 
her world changes forever. Now she's not, uh, let's say high powered. She's a very successful um, uh, Mexican and American uh, Latina attorney in Los Angeles, California. And um, she's got a full load casework and um, a broken relationship with her um, fiance and she's butting heads with her daughter. She doesn't have time to go back to Mexico. She left there 40 some, 30 some years ago. Well, no, she's only 36, maybe 20 some years ago. I get mixed up. She's a little bit, she's a little bit of me um, mixed up now. And so she, she left there, assimilated, doesn't want to go back to her roots. It's all bad news. Um, but she's got, she's the one that's got to go and identify her father's body. Her daughter is down there studying in Mexico and says, mom, you've got to come down here. You've got to take care of this, which is something she's always done her whole life is take care of things, which is what makes her a very good attorney. So it's filled with magic ghosts and some tequila and um, yeah. Maggie, that, that, that's fabulous. I love that there's ghosts and tequila involved. Uh, I love each of your books and multiple of your books, but I, I will say that I think that Ruthie may have one of the best taglines and taglines are really important. We should talk about how we market our books, but uh, Ruthie's tagline has to do with the idea of ghosts and tequila make a great cocktail. But you also have a lot of family issues in there, dead fathers. I want to talk to Maggie Smith for a minute about your great book, which I've had the privilege of reading, Truth and Other Lies. Mm. Tell me about your book and how it ties into family drama. Oh, it's nothing, but it's it's all family drama. <laughs> um, it's set in Chicago and my protagonist, here's the well, the cover is also right back there, uh, Truth and Other Lies. And it's set in Chicago in 2018 at the midterm election time. Um, it centers around a the story of a young investigative reporter who gets caught in a conflict between her mother, who is running for a Congress seat, and her mentor, who's a famous broadcaster, and has someone on Twitter accusing her of plagiarism. So it's loyalties are uh, tested. She's torn between the loyalties between these two women that are her role models. And she has a very contentious relationship with her mother that changes over the course of the book. So I often say it's kind of a mother and daughter love story. Um, and it's got a older mentor as well. It's something that I channeled my own 25 year old self as a journalist at one time. And uh, it's been great fun to write it. I released in March, so it's been out for a while. So I've got to go to a lot of book clubs and appearances at libraries and bookstores to talk about it. So it's it's been nothing but all good news. And I and I love the title, Truth and Other Lies. And we have a Facebook user who is saying that they absolutely think that your plot sounds amazing. So I hope that if they haven't read Truth and Other Lies, they will it's follow for it sale. up. <laughs> really? Yes. That's an amazing that's an amazing thing. C D'Angelo is someone I get to work with on our favorite Facebook group, which is the Bookish Road Trip. She has two novels out in very quick succession. And because I'm Italian, C tell us about your books. Yes, um, I write stories of the American Italian American culture. Um, and so the first book was The Difference, released last year, and the new release is The Visitor, which is about 
30-year-old, since we're saying ages, 30-year-old Mary um, in New Orleans. She's a new age shop owner and her building's being threatened with destruction by her nemesis high school ex-boyfriend, who is now a developer back in her life. Um, she dislikes accepting help from other people. She doesn't trust other people, yet she can't try to save her building on her own. So she has to make a choice there, um, including possibly accepting help from a mystical new customer. So since it's set in New Orleans, I had to have some, you know, mystical paranormal stuff in there. Mm -hmm. So that seems to be a theme in at least three of your books that we have that mystical realism, ghosts, et cetera. So let's talk genre for a minute. Why did we pick or why did you navigate to the genres that each of you did? Karen, let's start with you. As I mentioned, I love suspense books and I love women's fiction. So putting those two together just seemed like the right thing to do. But I really didn't think about genre when I wrote my first novel, Getting It Right. I, I had a story I wanted to tell and there were these two women talking to me in my head and I just started writing what they were telling me to write and where they were telling me to go. And then the second novel, I wanted to try my hand at a murder mystery. There was some, there was something different. I had to, I had to actually know how it was going to end, unlike the first and the second one. I had to actually, so that I could backfill it. And that came out last year, Tangled Lies. And so this one is sort of back to the first, back to my roots of really having a family saga, just um, filled with lots of suspense but relatable characters, flawed. Roxy is so flawed, but she's lovable when you're not annoyed with her. <laughs> I love that. I'm, and... I'm now writing a mystery and I want her to tell me how, how you figure it out. Because that's my sticking point. <laughs> well, Karen, do you have an answer for that? You know, I, I'm, I'm not a plotter, oh, but I had well, to, but I had to for, yeah. the, for the murder mystery. I had to teach myself who, how did the murder happen? When did it happen? What I had to like write the last chapter, yeah, yeah, and then and then make sure I put the breadcrumbs, yeah, you know, in the right in the right places. Because the last thing I wanted at the end of Tangled Lies is from somebody to go, what? Right. <laughs> I wanted How them to be happen? surprised, yeah, but not like, you know, where did this come from? Yeah, it was fun. It's a good discipline. Well, we have uh, greetings from Flemington, Pennsylvania. We've got uh, people who are so enjoying just hearing from you. EJ Runyon is with us and uh, flawed characters are the best. See, I just heard Karen say that her characters are very relatable. And when I read reviews of your book, you say the same thing about relatable stories. So follow yeah. up on that, please. You know, I I didn't set out to do that, but because people felt that way, I thought, okay, yeah, you know, I can see that. And so I take pride in that because when people read my books, I really want them to feel heard, inspired, you know, supported, um, especially during these pandemic years. We felt alone a lot. And I think that our books are a great escape. And so hopefully, you know, they feel like they're not alone in their issues because I write women's fiction. So there's going to be an emotional growth in the character in the main character that I write about. So with um, what Ruthie does, Ruthie, did you pick a genre? Like, how did you get to your genre? 
because this is something beyond my ken. I uh, have navigated to multiple genres since I've been doing my two radio shows, but I would have never fallen into where you are. So tell me about how you picked your genre. Um, I kind of fell into the genre. Um, it was the best way to tell this story, which was a fictional story. Um, I think it just goes back to what I used to read as a kid, the Grimm's fairy tales. And it was just a way to make real stuff seem a little bit more palatable, a little bit easier. I can change the outcome. And it was just fun to add these, these magical elements to um, the story. Uh, it's just another, again, another genre. And it's funny because those aren't necessarily the books that I, I reach out for right now. Um, I love women's fiction. I love mysteries. Uh, I love family drama. Um, and I don't have a big library full of, well, there aren't that many magic realism books to begin with. I, I don't think I haven't read all of them. Um, but it's just a style for me to tell my story and to change the outcome to some things that might be a little bit um, hard to swallow. I have another book up there, Curse of the Ninth, um, which was told from the point of view, male point of view, a young boy and his father. So that's a little bit different, but I threw in a paranormal element to that one as well, because it was just the only way to tell this story to know something that they don't know. Um, mm. it's, it's just a, and I have so it's a device, it's a device that you can use that helps you communicate in a different way than. Right. It's, it, it, it makes it easier. It's like cheating a little bit. I feel like I'm cheating when I just like, oh, I'll fix, I'll fix that. I'll just poof, it'll be gone. <laughs> oh, I hadn't thought about that. Maybe I should start doing yeah, that. Yeah, we can think about that. <laughs> yeah. Mine's so witchness. realistic. I can't do that. <laughs> But Maggie, you've switched. I, I want to go to you now, Maggie. You've switched from. I want to want to say it's a switch, but you started out solidly in women's fiction, and now you're moving to a murder mystery. So talk about that, and then yeah. we have some questions as well. Well, the the debut novel is is purely women's fiction, and it deals with a lot of uh, social issues. It has some issues of climate change. It has the abortion issue, which wasn't in the forefront when I was writing it, but certainly has become that way. Um, and uh, uh, influence of social media. And nobody has this magic wand that it all gets solved. It's like real, real life. Uh, nobody comes in and saves the day. Um, so it's, it's really people working out their differences when they feel differently about some social issues is part of what's going on, which I see reflected a lot in Unfortunately, a lot of families today. Um, and actually, the murder mystery I'm writing is women's fiction as well. It has very two really strong women characters in it. Um, and uh, but it is someone who is being stalked and and then is accused of the murders of the stalker's murder when he turns up dead. Um, so it's got a strong woman character in it. And it's not necessarily just a like locked room murder mystery, but it has a murder in it. And I, I just like that kind of thing. And it's the idea that came to me. The next one I'm going to write is a kidnapping. So I don't have ideas come. You have to write them. You snatch yes. them out of the air and there they are. I, I love people, unlike me, who have multiple stories lined up. Uh, we have a 
Facebook watcher who says that Andrew Young, the British mystery writer, says he often doesn't know who the murderer is himself until he is three quarters of the way through the book. How does that happen? I've known who the murderer is all along. <laughs> Me too. It's just how to show it and how to have it happen. Exactly right. A little... I admire the pansters. That I could never do that. I I plot out everything. <laughs> I'm a, very much of a plotter too. Uh, so I, I am not, Karen. You had a comment. Just go go where they go. But I did want to say with like Maggie, you know. Um, so like you, uh, my second novel, Tangled Lives, has two strong women characters, and it is women's fiction. It's just also a murder mystery, and it has a current which is so interesting. I, I've read Truth and Other Lies and, and Ruthie, I've ordered your book and oh, see, I've ordered you. your book. But um, uh, the, one of the things that it has a Me Too aspect yep. to it, yeah. it has a whole issue of abortion and adoption and foster care, you know? So I try to include social issues, even though that's not what it's a hundred percent about. Well, and I think it, it, it's been interesting to me. I've been on a couple of podcasts where people have said, were you leery about writing about social issues? And my response has been, I'm writing for adults and we should be all adults and be able to, to choose what we can read and read things that maybe are difficult subjects. Uh, but let's all grow up and start talking to each other about differences and being adults about this. So that was kind of my take on some of those issues that Karen's bringing up. Yeah. But I think that can also be very difficult. You know, I, I run uh, my other radio show is called The Storytellers, and I always have to try to balance when I have a tough topic with what I think listeners will be interested in. Mm -hmm. So I like that you both play with that very much um, in your writing. We have uh, Angela Anderson is in the house, which is always oh. a joy. Hey, there is a question to each of you. Do any of you have other relatives that have or possibly are leaning towards writing? See, let's start with you. Yeah, my little goddaughter is 12 and she keeps saying now she wants to be a writer because of me and, and she has sent handwritten letters. We write to each other um, nice. and, and she has sent little stories and things as well as another aunt who did publish a nonfiction book, uh, but only for us family members, not to, to sell. Uh, my writing son? is such a great. Yes, Karen. No, I'm sorry, Grace. No, please. Uh, so my son is a published author, and uh, and he's one of my best best beta readers. He and he's a literary writer, and uh, and he's very. He asks me the best questions to make me go, oh, hmm, yeah, <laughs> and go back. And then his son is a writer. He's 16 years old. He's written three novels already. Wow. My very talented grandson, oh. and grandson the next grandson down he told me he said grammy i'm gonna dictate the story to you uh, i'm the director oh. you're the writer and we're gonna get jp who is the, the the grandson that's a writer who's also a graphic artist he's going to write do the illustration so here's my plan <laughs> he's a director he's 11 he's the director Mm -hmm. I love it. Well, that fits right into Ruthie, because Ruthie, tell us, you're also a screenwriter. 
I want you to also talk about other people in your family who might write, but I'd love to know a little bit about your screenwriting. Well, let me see if I can put it all in one context here. Uh, this story, my daughter is a journalist or was a journalist. Uh, she's now got another job, but she was uh, working for the Guadalajara Reporter. Um, at the time I got an idea for this story. She was working at, down there. She graduated from um, ASU and Walter Cronkite School of Journalism. She's a great writer. She's so funny and she's so wise. So wise. Um, she's a mom now with two little kids. So like me, I started late, hopefully. I mean, and because I started writing a little bit later, these novels, I have a lot of stories to tell. So she will too. Um, but back to the screenwriting, I was in a master class uh, at UCLA for screenwriting and this idea came to me and I wrote it, the story Agave Blues as a screenplay. It had you know, the, the first, second and third act, it had the plot points. So it made it really good for outlining and plotting and, and all of that and keeping it you know, 90 to 120 pages. Um, I won some awards for it, but then I decided I want to keep it as my own because you know what they do with the screenplays, they just they become something else. So um, I fleshed it out, um, uh, put in the, the, the lyrical aspects of it. The, you know, I, I, I set decorated as, a, as a, I got to be the director, the, the, the songwriter, the everything. That's what you get to do when you write a novel. You are, you're, the, you're the person. So, Maggie, what about people in your family who write? Nobody. <laughs> I'm in a book club that has three other writers in it, and there's only 12 of us. So uh, I, I know other writers, and, of course, I know other writers through the writing community. Uh, but nobody else in my family. Always just me. Aww. I have I have a brother who is a songwriter, and then I have another brother who I think has written 45 books. Oh, wow. Um, his name is Rick Salmon, and he does amazing, amazing uh, photography. Uh, and he's currently in Greenland right now. So ricksalmon.com. So we have Linda Moore in the house. Hello, Linda, who is an author. Thank you for joining us. We have several people who are saying hi. We don't get to see their names, but we're so glad they're here. If you have a question for any of these authors, uh, please put it in the chat. We would love to share it with you. One of the things that I love about our author community is how different our lives become once we have launched our books. Mm. I know that three of us have podcasts and radio shows. And C, I'd just like to start with you because you still work full time and talk about how your author life has changed. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm a mental health therapist. I've done that for about 21 years. I love it. Um, that's why I made my first character in The Difference, a therapist. Um, and so that's a very draining job, um, very time consuming, draining. I work far away. Um, so I really have to write on weekends, uh, but I try to do other things at night and maybe on my lunch break and things like that. Um, uh, but it has definitely changed my life because I'm always doing something bookish when I am not at my actual <laughs> job. <laughs> my husband knows now, oh no, I need to do this. I need to do that. And he tries to help out as much as possible. I'm really lucky. And one of the things you do is play the ukulele. How did that happen? 
I do. Yeah. I just, um, I've always played instruments. My family's very musical, you know, being Italian and everything. It's a total stereotype. And um, <laughs> so I picked it up, just taught myself on YouTube probably seven years ago, eight wow. years ago, something like that. I noticed, I, noticed, <laughs> I noticed somebody's asking if any of us are full-time writers. I am a full-time writer. So um, I retired or sold my company that I was running a few years ago, and I've been a full-time writer since that time. I don't see how you do it otherwise. <laughs> There's not enough hours in the day. You know, I, stra I straddled both because I wrote my first book on airplanes and hotel rooms and in the Delta Lounge. I was working full time, straight out. My husband and I owned a company, traveling all over the world, and and I just wrote when I could. But the second book, uh, it was good five years before the second book came out, before Tangled Lies came out, and by then I was retired from my other life. I don't say I'm retired. I'm now a novelist. So I used to be. This is Act Three, and I am not retired. I just don't do my old job anymore. <laughs> I do my new job. And I'm still so busy because, you know, you say full-time author, but, you know, I'm on two boards. I spend a lot of time doing volunteer work. Um, I'm going to be the chair of one of the boards in November. So I feel like I still have a full-time kind of job, plus writing. Oh, if you let it, you can you can find no time to write because you can be, yes. I have a podcast also, right. I, I blog, I edit a magazine. So, wow. you know, your time can fill up very quickly. It's true. Ruth, Ruthie, what about you? How has your life uh, changed since you started writing? And are you a full-time writer? I am now a full-time, I should say, I am no longer working my career that I had for maybe over 30 years. I was a legal secretary. Um, and uh, I, it's, it's strange. Because um, when I'm under the gun, I could, I put out two novels. Um, now that I'm a full time or novelist, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I still do it, but I, I find other things to do to fill my time. I'm a grandmother, I'm a wife, I'm a writer. Um, and I have an active life which is important because that's where i get my stories you know to interacting with family friends situations um but yeah i worked um 30 more, more than 30 years in the legal field and um that's the writing is what got me through that because i would write in the middle of the night i'd write on my lunch hour i'd write maybe you know i had stories going on in my head all the time so I would probably look like I was spaced out most of the time. <laughs> we, we do have that. We have a Facebook user who is very interested in, do we have particular errors we like to write about? Are we all contemporary authors? I'm contemporary. I'm contemporary. Um, yes. Although I'm I trying my hand, this is my fourth novel that's that in progress, and it's an historical novel. I my have nothing but admiration for people that do historical yeah. novels. They work much harder than I do. It's too much. It's, it's very too hard. much. <laughs> my I have a lot of history into my novels, so there is a lot of research, but it's still not writing in that period. That right. was very challenging. It's yeah. interesting. I, I interview a lot of authors on my other show, and I've ask them over and over again, what is the hardest part about writing historical 
fiction? And I always get a different answer. Michelle Cox, who is a friend, I think, to many of us, yeah. had her answer was getting the dialogue right because of how oh, we speak yeah. changes so much. Yeah. And that was a surprise to me. It, it was obvious once she said it to me, but it was not something I would have thought about. I interviewed somebody else and they talked about um, buttons, like were the buttons the right kind of buttons? All so the details. The, all the, all <laughs> the little details. I had, when I first started the novel, I had the cord, and, you know, the telephone cord, um, you know, spiraling. And, I, and then I, oh, is that what the courts were like back then in 1924? So I went and I, oh no, they didn't look like that at all. <laughs> and, and I like making things up. I don't like research. Um, so this has been a challenge for me and it's probably why it's going more slowly than the other three. My first novel was, it was a historical fiction with a, a twist of paranormal in it. And I spent years in libraries and in the basement of the courthouse. It was actually based on a real story. So um, back in the turn of the last century. Uh, so I had all the newspaper articles and, and um, like I say, I spent a lot of time doing the research, getting everything right. Um, I, would, I would be too afraid of all the rabbit holes you'd go down. I would never get it done. I'd be I at the library all the time. Well, it, it took it took twenty years. So, <laughs> well, please don't say that, Ruthie. I don't want this to take twenty. Well, years. I was, I have I was, twenty years. I was working too. So now that I'm not working, I could do it in five. Okay. I mean, I am seventy four years old, so things can't take twenty years. <laughs> I want to welcome Barbara Connery, who is a USA Today bestseller, who just also had a release called My Secret to Keep. She's joined us tonight. Uh, someone else just said as a great, this is Linda Moore, who commented on how she had a friend who wrote uh, about orange carrots in the Middle Ages, and unfortunately, they weren't orange, they were purple. Oh. Uh, believe it or not, we are almost at the end of our time together. So we have a Facebook user who wants to know your favorite place to write and where you get most of your work done. Maggie, let's start with you. I have, I'm lucky enough to have a whole office. It's a spare bedroom that we don't use. So I, I have it lined with books and I have a great office and two computers and that's where i come up i come up as though i'm going to a job every morning and it's upstairs and i have my cup of coffee and i treat it like a job awesome see what about yourself and this room i'm in right now it's an office and also i i made an art room in my house to do all the different forms of art that i do i wrote the visitor in that room okay ruthie I think my favorite spot is on the couch. I have a little corner on my couch and in the living room. I have my own dedicated office for that sort of thing, for, for the writing. Um, but I, before the pandemic, my husband and I traveled a lot for his job and I always had my computer. I always found a little corner to do my work. So I can be anywhere as long as I've got these, but my favorite spot is on that little corner of the couch. It's a recliner. Yeah, I find that every book I have is somehow you have to write it where it tells you to write. My last book was at the kitchen counter. Another one was on the couch. Karen. I write at the kitchen table. I write at the kitchen table. I have an office. I'm in the office now. But there's something about sitting at my kitchen table and looking out on the water. And maybe I'd be more productive if I came in here and closed the doors. <laughs> 
Well, we are out of time. I want to thank each and every one of you. I want to thank each and every one of our listeners. I hope that they found a new book, found a new genre. I want you to follow C. D'Angelo, Maggie Smith, Karen E. Osborne, and Ruthie Marlinet. And hold up your books if you have them. Thank you for being with us tonight. This is a joint effort between Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network, and uh, myself, Mary Helen Sheriff. Thank you for being with us tonight. Good night. Good night, everybody. It was fun. Thank you. This episode is copyrighted by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Thank you for visiting with us on Launchpad.